Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast, the podcast dedicated to simplifying the commercial real estate industry for the masses. Each week, we sit down with industry experts to dissect the many facets of commercial real estate and extract valuable lessons you can apply to your business. Whether you're a new or seasoned business owner or investor, the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast will be your go-to resource for all your commercial real estate needs. Now, here are your hosts, Rafael Collazo and Jeff Walston. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Academy podcast. I'm your host, Rafael Collazo, here with my co-host, Jeff Walston. How's it going, my friend? Going great. Killing it out here. Um, business, personal life. Um, Enjoying life again, uh, post-pandemic, I would say. Some people will say that we're still in one, but hey, uh, I'm making the best of it. Uh, what about you, Raphael? How's it going over there? It's going great, man. Uh, just just keeping up with stuff. Uh, you know, the weekend's coming up here soon, and we're just going to take advantage of the nice weather and kind of do things outside. Uh, I think that's kind of the theme uh, going forward, although it has been a little bit hot uh, as of late. But uh, no, we're just excited to be able to take advantage of the nice weather. And, you know, just speaking of great, great conversations and just, just a really interesting individual, Uh, you know, Joe Evangelisti was our guest today. He's the CEO of Legacy Developers LLC, along with being a coach, uh, author as well, Uh, you know, best-selling Amazon author as well. Uh, You know, in today's episode, we we learned a lot about his backstory. You know, he was ultimately uh, in the Navy uh, as, as a builder for the Navy, uh, you know, early on in his career and then got into the real estate space on the flipping side. And he's, he mentioned that he, I think he flipped almost a thousand homes, uh, you know, during that period of time, then ultimately got into the self-storage space. So throughout, you know, our discussion points, we had talked about, you know, some of the early struggles that he faced as he's transitioned away from what he was doing on the flipping side to the development side, in particular on the self-storage end. And we kind of highlighted a few uh, insights he gained from his first experiences on, on the development side with that. Uh, we also touched on, you know, the characteristics that he looks at for an investment opportunity, he kind of shared a, a, a tidbit that we think would you would guys would gain value from as well. Um, he also talked a little bit about, you know, how he's been able to help others through his coaching program and the value that he's gained through actually being a, being affiliated with a coach. I've had a coach for many years and I've used one in the past as well. And I ultimately we kind of connected on you know, why we thought those, uh, you know, insights and those, the, the values that we've gained through our coach, through our coaching relationships, what were so valuable to us as well. Uh, and then finally, we touched on a little bit on what, you know, inspired him to write his book and some of the values that, that he also gained from those experiences. As you guys may know, I've written a few books as well. So again, it's just more ch- talk shop about why we think that it, it is a value to be able to write a book and the skills that you develop over time as a result of you engaging in that exercise. And then we wrapped it up uh, finally, just asking him to, to provide insights on one, one thing he would share uh, with his younger self that, that he wishes he would have known before. His answer may surprise you, so stick to the end so you can actually hear what he has to say. Jeff, do you have anything like that? I'm just, uh, I like that he's... Uh kind of a giving, especially to his team. And he was saying in uh, the episode that he, you know, is trying to get them to grow alongside him because that that's helping the company grow and everybody grow. And, and if you're surrounded by people that just continue growing, I mean, that's, what's going to happen. You're just going to keep growing together and uh, might be in some different ways, but anyways, he, he's just focusing on that with his team. And I think that uh, is one of the keys to, to his success. And uh, um, yeah, seems like a great guy. And I can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. 
Definitely. Yeah, I know you could tell he's, he's a high performer and he's a no nonsense individual, which is awesome. You know, I love engaging yeah. with people of that, that level of candor. So it was really cool to be able to talk to someone and, and gain insights from as well. And uh, before we dive into the podcast, you know, obviously we, we greatly appreciate your guys' support. It's been humbling. And again, we always say this, it's been inspirational to see, you know, the, the reaching the people that have reached out to us to talk about the episodes and how much that, that has meant to them and how much value they've, they're gaining from, from the insights that our guests are able to share, you know, so it's, we greatly appreciate all your guys' support. And if you guys haven't already, we would just have uh, one humble ask. If you guys don't mind going to Apple podcasts and leaving a five-star review, it really helps with our algorithm to make sure that we can reach as many people as possible. And if you guys are watching this on YouTube, please like, and subscribe. It makes a huge difference in our reach. And then hopefully we get to reach a broader audience so that we can share the insights of the commercial real estate industry. So again, thank you all so much. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the podcast. Well, Hey Joe, great to see you this fine afternoon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Definitely Joe. So excited. Yeah. And, and, and off the call, we were kind of mentioning you're tuning in from Philadelphia. uh, I'm sorry, uh, Pennsylvania, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct? How's everything over there? Actually New Jersey, right outside of Philadelphia, but close, close. Oh, okay. Okay. No, that makes sense. No, for sure. I know everything's kind of close together there. I actually lived in DC for about a year and a half, uh, but that was my main exposure to the East coast. Now we're kind of middle of the middle of the country here in Louisville, Kentucky. So uh, it's great. Great to have you on the show. I know we're excited to kind of dive into your backstory because you do have a quite, quite a diverse background and I'm excited to kind of dive into your, to, to all the insights that you have to share with the audience. But typically what we first happens when we first interview someone is we like to learn a little bit more about the person that's across the table from us. So if you don't if you don't mind kind of sharing your backstory, I think that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up uh, really in construction. My dad was a, a general contractor. He's actually a drywall contractor turned like house builder when I was in my teens. Um, and so construction's just, uh, it's just been in my blood ever since I was about yay high pushing brooms. And I think I could tape drywall when I was like nine or 10. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I just, I've always loved buildings. I love the creationary aspect of like taking something from zero and turning it into something. I've even loved it when my dad was doing like kitchens and baths and all the way to building houses. And now, now we do it with uh big facilities like the one behind me on the wall here. Um, and uh, yeah, so construction my whole life. And then right after high school, I actually was lucky enough to go into the service. And I was in the US Navy Seabees for about six years. And those are the construction battalions of the Navy. So I got to be a builder for the Navy. Uh, no boats, uh, no ships, no no water, just everywhere by air, fly all over, all over the world and build really cool stuff. And, uh, you know, after that, pretty quickly jumped into entrepreneurship and started flipping real estate. That's awesome. Yeah. I, Go ahead, Jeff. I was just going to say that. I mean, I got a lot to uh, condemn you for, or, uh, commend you for on that. Uh, I appreciate your service for sure. My uh, grandfather, he was a, actually a CB as well. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. He put 30 years in that. So, um, but uh, I, I kind of grew up similar way. Uh, our, my family was a uh, concrete finishers. So I was on the job site, commercial and residential job sites since, I mean, after school and since kindergarten during the summer, that that's where I went and I hung it out of the job sites and learn all the trades from there. So yeah, uh, I can definitely see how you went to there. And now I'm a commercial GC. It's kind of funny. <laughs> so uh, how, how that actually starts out, but uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah. That's you, you put all those years in and now look that it's a nice job site you got behind you. Uh, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned your grandfather, because when I was a kid, if you asked me what my like goal in life was, it would be to grow up and take over my dad's business. And about, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I actually bought my dad's business. to, to oh, really? retire. So, uh, so yeah, things come full circle. It's pretty cool. 
That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's really cool. I'm sure you got a lot of stories about the Navy for sure, about going on and building and all those things. So all kinds of crazy stories. I got to, I got to serve in Camp David for two years. So I worked for two presidents. I met five presidents. Um, you know, there's there's a lot, a lot of cool stories. I've been all over the all over the world and uh, all, all over Asia Pacific. And I ended up uh, my last tour uh, it was in 03 while we were in Bag- uh, invading Baghdad. I was in U.S. Central Command right in Qatar. Um, so I got to build out the whole infrastructure and, and like secure uh, offices for Tommy Franks and all the generals that ran the war. Oh, so, okay. uh, yeah, I, I got a lot. I got a lot of cool stories. I bet. And especially being around them and kind of I guess you're catering to them, essentially. Right. Like kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, doing what they needed and building what they wanted. So that's that's awesome. That's awesome. And sure. for those that are listening on the podcast, he's got a nice uh, job site. Uh, photo behind him and it's it, it's awesome uh it looks like storage units is that what it is yeah this is one of our projects uh behind me i think it's like 104,000 square foot net rentable um it's one of our projects in new jersey we're finishing up and it's actually uh pre-sold we have a, a buyer to buy it when it hits co so pretty nice pretty interesting how the market's changing and getting so aggressive and storage it's it's very it's been aggressive for a couple of years now yeah uh, so you were saying that you're on job sites and doing the drywall thing and everything. And I don't know if that was residential or commercial, but I kind of was wanting to see what actually got you into the commercial real estate industry. Um, yeah. Was it that journey or yeah, is there a particular thing that happened? <laughs> lots of, lots and lots and lots of single family houses. We flipped about almost a thousand <laughs> houses in 12 years. And um, after doing that, like, like volume of churn and burn, like I, I, I tell people, like I never even stepped foot on the last two or 300 houses we flipped because I just kind of, I don't want to say I lost the passion for it, but I was trying to find something that was more scalable, something that was more systematic, something I could have a better culture with. You know, the single family game was just just churn and burn, cash in, cash out, cash in, cash out. And I never yeah. felt like our, our net worth was going was going up or our portfolio was growing because it was just like getting to the next deal and cashing out of it. Um, and so after doing that for about a decade, we turned and my, me and my business partner looked at each other and we're like, man, what do you want to do? And we both said, we got to find something more scalable. We got to look into commercial and you know, this was pre-COVID. This was about four years ago. Um, and luckily enough, I say all the time, we, we landed on storage. You know, we looked at retail, we looked at office, we looked at uh, multifamily. And, you know, all of those were really at that time and still are arguably like a red ocean. You know, there's just, you know, 150 LOIs going in on a deal. So I said, like, where can I find a blue ocean? Where can I create opportunity in the commercial sector? And I just landed on a, a conversation with a friend of mine that was building and developing self-storage. And he's like, dude, once you build your first self-storage and never touch a house again, you'll pay somebody to build your own house. And uh, he was dead on. He was dead on. Definitely. Yeah, no. I mean, yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, product type. And it's one that, that has been fractionalized for many years and it's starting to become a lot more institutionalized over time, but it still has very unique opportunity for those who are looking to get in the space. One thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, the, the early struggles you faced as you started taking on those development projects in the self-storage space, because, you know, just to give you some a profile of our audience, I mean, we have people in a variety of different uh, areas of the commercial real estate industry, and we've interviewed people on the multifamily side, the, the self-storage side, the the office side, the retail side, the development side. And so we have a very broad audience that have a very diverse range of, of skills and backgrounds. And, and one obviously is, is the development side. So if you could kind of elaborate a little bit on your experience, especially as you first started out, because I'd imagine you can't just take the systems that you created from a flipping a home and, and, and apply it straight to, to creating a, a new self-storage facility. Is that correct? 
Some of them. Yeah. But, you know, I think, I think what makes us uh, as a team really stand out and, and really my unique ability as a visionary is creating great teams. Like I knew mm. that it was going to take the right people on, on the bus to make the first self-storage happen. Um, and so right away when we first figured out we're going to make the switch, I just immediately started having conversations with experienced people. And I, I tell you the cool thing about this industry, and we run, we now run one of the, one of the biggest self-storage masterminds in the country. But when I started out, everyone said to me, it's a small world. People are willing to talk to you. They're willing to help. They're willing to help. And, and that has been so true in the storage world. It just seems like every time I have a conversation with somebody who I haven't spoken to before, who's in storage, um, they're willing to give, they're willing to help, they're willing to, um, to, to contribute. And, you know, to your point, um, Raphael, you just said it was a fragmented business. Over 70% of storage units in this country are owned by mom and pop. It's small. Like everybody thinks you drive by cube smart and extra space and life storage and they're all over and they are, but generally 50% of those signs are owned by mom and pop and they're using those guys to manage, right? So it is a very, very fragmented um, industry, which also leads to uh, an abundance of ability for us to go capitalize on it. Definitely. No. And then that first, that first project, could you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? And then, and, and, cause I think that'd be great to kind of get a case study of, of how exactly yeah. you, you looked at that opportunity and then ultimately executed. Yeah. I mean, first and foremost, it came from like finding the first site, right? So it's just conversational. I was actually in a conversation with one of my local civil engineers who had been doing residential surveys for me for a decade. And I said to him like, Hey, I'm looking for self-storage development opportunities. What do you got? And, you know, he initially said to me, um, I got a site that's uh, it's, it's approved use for a senior care facility. Um, but he actually had a, an agreement with the previous buyer that he would get paid at closing. Well, the previous buyer with the, with the, with the uh, senior care license sold their license to the local um, hospital in the area. So therefore, they, couldn't, they could no longer build this facility. So they spent all this time and energy getting it approved. And he said to me, look, they owe me X amount of dollars for the contract. And we never went to closing. If you're willing to pay that difference, I'll go get this thing turned into a self-storage approval. And he did. It took us a long time because it was very, very beginning of COVID and you know, actually was like kind of... COVID hit us right in the middle when we were about to get approvals and it ended up extending it like another six months. Um, but um, that's how we got in. That's how we got into our first deal. And then from that point, it was like, let's put the right team together, find the right development uh, team, the right design team, the right uh, general contractor. And, uh, you know, and then it's, it's, it was off to hiring people. That's awesome. Yeah. So that kind of brings just you saying that, like uh, getting the right team and uh, to do all the investments and the opportunities. But what are some of the the characteristics that you look for in that investment opportunity to develop and storage. Just yeah, well, of, of course, ROI, right. we got to make sure that yeah. there's, there's, there's upside to these deals. And generally our deals are, are sub 60 cents of the dollar, you know, all in um, including land development, hard cost, soft cost. Like I want to be in 60 cents of the dollar if I can, which I think is one of the things that um, kind of not, not that all developments can't be done that way, but self storage is concrete and steel and asphalt. Right. Like there's not a lot that goes into it and it's expensive, yeah. but it's not as expensive as building like a multifamily, for example. So therefore, our margins are a little fatter, which allows us to have some flexibility. You know, everybody's going through debt service coverage problems and then ratio problems and interest problems. And we're experiencing that as well. But we have a buffer to be able to kind of suck that up and, and still build a site at 60 cents on the dollar. It's not going to change us drastically. Yeah. And, and yeah. when you when you mean 60 cents on the dollar, could you elaborate what that means? Is, is, is what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, so the site that's behind me on the wall, we were all in at about twelve five, and and we have it sold for twenty one. Oh, I see you're saying. So you're yeah. talking about your sixty cents on the dollar on for the ultimate sales price for, when you flip for, it. For, for okay. the, yeah, exactly. For the for the finished product, it's going to be worth about you know 
that makes sense that, that make, makes complete sense i just wanted to make sure that that was clarified so we can have our audience understand that as well so that's great yeah i was kind of want to just kind of go back to those the characteristics and those opportunities how do you go through do you have a do you guys have a screening process um yeah. that you go through to look at yeah or is that uh, yeah. a lot of people ask this question we have we have a, a, a system that we call the, the 60 60 23 right which is and then this is like a swag this is how you start to, to underwrite yeah. a deal and then you got to get into nuts and bolts of it but yeah. i'm looking at a piece of dirt um, I'm, I'm looking for 60,000 uh, median income in a three mile radius. I'm looking for 60,000 population in a three mile radius. And I'm looking for average $20 per square foot is what's being rented in a 10 by 10 climate control for my competitors, right? So that's why we come up with 60, 60, 20 in a three mile radius, right? So that's like the starting point when we can decide like, hey, this is a site we should really investigate further. Uh, and then, of course, there's months of due diligence that goes into pre-design and, and figuring out if the site physically fits properly, underground retainage, environmental, you know, the turtles, yeah. the dogs, the frogs, all the things that you have to look yeah. at. So, you know, yeah. I mean, but the very, very early stages is what we call the 60-60-23. Oh, okay. Nice. That's I awesome. appreciate you letting us know that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, it's it's always good because I mean, I'd imagine you're as as you start to scale and expand your team. I mean, you you're you're, you're probably seeing a lot of opportunities coming your way, and mo a lot of them I'm sure probably aren't worth looking at. You know, in this in investment market, I feel like there's a lot of people that are pricing, you know, product in in a way such that it's like they're pricing in the profit that a, a someone else would achieve once they ultimately develop and sell the property, which is crazy, but that's just currently the, the environment you find yourselves in for the most part. But then all, of course, there's opportunities out there, like you said, that, that, um, you know, you can capitalize on through those metrics. So. Yeah. I mean, you had said earlier, what did we take over from, from the residential world? And, and, and really one of the, our really, really, um, value adds to what we, what we create is for, for a decade, I was finding off-market deals direct to seller. Like that was our sweet spot. It was finding stuff that nobody else is looking for and creating opportunity out of it and either buying it or wholesaling it to another investor. Uh, we took that same kind of, you know, investigative model of how to find deals and actually put them under contract so that again, I could be in that blue ocean, right? I don't want to be in the red ocean where all the sharks are feeding and are having a frenzy and there's multiple offers and best and finals. You know, I yeah. just had this conversation with my team this morning. I don't, I don't think we've ever been in a best and final situation. <laughs> like, like we, we, you know, generally are dealing with off-market stuff. We're going direct to brokers who are going direct to the sellers or we're having conversations and we're finding off-market stuff. So I'm not in that competitive nature of like, oh, it's on coast star let's go put an offer out there oh yeah i know for sure yeah that makes complete sense so one thing i wanted to ask you about and, and obviously you have a very diverse background um you know you obviously you came from 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 the military got into development but also you have a very strong focus on coaching you know and, and coaching you know is something that i've i've had a coach for many many years uh, i see the value in coaching and i kind of wanted to understand you know what was your reasoning for you know number one when you first i'm assuming you've had a coach for many years as well so what made you decide to get a coach what value you received from coaching and then ultimately you know what made you decide to start that in your own i guess start coaching other people as well that's a great question i actually started out probably over over 10 years ago my first um my first like sizable investment, which is kind of like you look back and laugh. Some people don't think that's funny, but I, I it was 5k to go to a two two day mastermind event. And like, it took all of the energy in my body to like, to like send that wire to like, like send that yeah. money to somebody. But it was immediate to me 
the, the importance and the magnitude of getting in the right rooms. Like I figured it out within like an hour of sitting down, like, holy crap, this is what I've been missing my whole life. I need to be in the right room with the right people that aren't going to be in my backyard. They're not going to be the people I went to high school with. It's not going to be my cousins or my parents or my, you know, it's going to be people who want to help me succeed at a higher level because I want to help them succeed at a higher level. So I invested in my first mastermind about 10 years ago and almost immediately hired coaches after that. Um, and I, I, I say there's two, the best investments you can make. Number one are in yourself and number two are in your people. That's it. Everything else, you know, comes, comes after that. And so, you know, to this day, I'm, I practice what I preach. I probably have five different coaches at this point for different things, you know, all the way from my business coach to my life coach, to my jujitsu coach. Like, you know, I have coaches in my life, but that's how peak performers achieve things. You know, you look at Tom Brady, he's got 16 coaches. You know, you, you, look, you look at some of the peak performers in the world and they're not just they're not just hiring a coach. They're hiring multiple coaches and they're investing in themselves as much as they're investing in to, to get to the, to the end game to their success, whatever, whatever that is. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, similar to you, I mean, I haven't had a coach as long as you. I started back in 2016 was the first time I, I started with a coach. And, you know, I mean, the, the, the value that I've received from the relationships and I've had several coaches since then, you know, obviously mm -hmm. you evolve and, you know, maybe this yep. coach no longer serves as the same that you need. And then you ultimately go to someone else. But, you know, what I valued so much from the relationship that I've had with my coach over the years is that it just just the the, the, the candor of just looking at your life or whatever focus area that you're looking at and saying, okay, like what are areas for improvement? Cause it's very easy for us to look at ourselves in rose colored glasses and as best as we possibly can do, you know, we, we, we try to definitely not do that, but, but it's, it's only natural. I mean, ego can get in the way and whatever else, but with, with the coaches that I've had over my lifetime, you know, they've been very good at making me step back and saying, okay, this is what you've told me you want what's what's the hurdle how are we going to get over yeah. this and then from there you ultimately execute and that's ultimately your decision and and you have to be the one to execute as the individual so yeah well listen action creates momentum right and yeah. our thoughts become things so i want to surround myself with people that make me think bigger they make me mm -hmm. think bigger thoughts they make me challenge myself they make me go out there and do and so you know coaches do that mastermind rooms do that i mean you know, getting away sometimes and just, you know, I, I did a mastermind retreat in Vail, Colorado at the, you know, at the end of March this year, we didn't even talk business the whole mm -hmm. time, right? We were out there snowmobiling, we were snowboarding, skiing, dinners, you know, whatever. And everyone said to me at the end, it was the, this is the greatest mastermind I've ever been to, right? And a lot of times just getting around other people that get you thinking outside the box is worth the investment tenfold. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely. I, I haven't personally had a coach, but I've had a couple of mentors over the years. And I mean, same thing, I guess. Uh, and that, yeah, I can see the value of definitely uh, actually. And, and on what I, one point I want to point out is actually paying for a coach rather than just having a coach that is saying that they're going to coach you, that the value that you're going to put into that uh, is way higher. So that's uh, yeah. Thanks for that. I mean, that's, that's a lot. Uh, so I know you have been done a lot of different things. Uh, and one was actually, uh, writing a book. You wrote a book, right? Um, yeah, and four. what, what made you decide to write a book? <laughs> and so, then, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish your question. Uh, no, I, I was just like, and what is the premise and like the top lessons that you learned? If you could just, well, yeah, so while writing that book. Yeah. The book thing for me started as, first of all, let me backtrack. People think writing a book makes you money. It doesn't like, it's not a profitable thing. It's more of a, it's more of a, uh, you know, um, 
I started writing books to answer your question to help my team and my students. Like, but literally, my first book was about flipping houses, and it was an SOP on how to create opportunity and do more deals. And so, as people came to work for me, like their first their first job was to read this book, right? Yeah. So it's really how all of my books have kind of come into substance. Was like, what is my team, or what are my coaching clients, what are the people in my tribe need to be successful? Let me get it down in like a manifesto, and, and that's kind of how they've all you know, matriculated. First, it was flipping houses, then it was wholesaling houses. I wrote a book called Whole Scaling. Um, and then it was leadership development and, and the five freedoms, which is in multiplicity. Um, and then our latest book, uh, which is called the, the Legacy Wealth Blueprint, is about creating passive investment wealth through self-storage. So it's always been to help the people in my tribe. It's not been to like, you know, hit the New York Times bestseller list. It's, you know, always been to how do I help increase the knowledge bank of the people who are around me? Definitely. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm... I, Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I commend you for that. That's that's awesome that you're willing to do that because, it, you know, it's uh, what's that the saying about, you know, uh, one big tide or, or something about raising ships. I can't remember exactly how it goes, yeah, but a uh, high tide raises it, all ships. Yep. Ships, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to help your team grow, you're going to grow along with them and vice versa. So that's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and I, I've also written a few books as well. And, you know, the process of doing so it's an iterative process. And, and there's also value, as you said before, you're not going to necessarily become the next JK Rowling, but there's so much value in the act of writing that ultimately spreads to a variety of different things, facets within your business. Like for me, I become a much more effective communicator. I become, you know, obviously you go out and you, you, you talk about what you have written about as well. So the public speaking aspect comes into play, you know, by you writing books that are, you know, hopefully focused on a nonfiction basis, whether it's leadership, you know, financial freedom, et cetera, you know, you inherently learn more about that. And then ultimately you can pass along that knowledge to the, your growing team. Um, and mm -hmm. so I, I love those insights that you shared because again, you may, just because you're not going to become the next JK Rowling and maybe you will be, but, but in, but in reality, that's not why you write. In my opinion, yeah. the, the reason yeah. you write is for the exercise of writing and to become better in a variety of different ways. So well, I mean, to touch on what you just said, though, Raphael, is like, you know, our highest level of human needs are growth and contribution, right? That's, mm -hmm. that's us getting to a higher level and then giving back. When you can start to, to put that into writing, you're answering a lot of your own questions. It's like journaling, right? There's so much inside of our subconscious that we've already answered. And it's like, mm -hmm. I got to get it on paper. Then I get it on paper and I think to myself, well, how, how, are, how are Jeff and Raphael going to take this and matriculate this information? And like, if I was in a conversation, how could I teach them this? That makes us better right? The more we 100%. coach, the more we lead, the more we grow our team, the more we give back to them, like the more we get better as leaders. So, you know, the book experience is really kind of a, a, a summation of that whole thing. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I'm sure you've probably had a similar experience where you're looking and writing a particular section and you're sitting there and you're like, how can I best elaborate this? So someone can actually understand this to, to a degree that I want them to. Because again, there, there's maybe some concepts that you would elaborate on that are a little bit more complicated or whatever else, but that refinement process makes you more effective communicator. And communication is the number one skill, in my opinion, in business. I mean, if you can, if you're an effective and a, and a killer communicator there, I mean, the sky's the limit. So I think, I think the, the way books are going today, the more simple, the concept, the easier it is to understand, you know, Ed Milet just wrote the book called one extra, one more or one, one extra rep, or I don't know. It's like mm -hmm. another, but the whole concept is just giving one more. You're going to do nine reps, do 10. You're going to make 10 phone calls, do 12. Like going that one extra step is really what creates success. And it's so basic, but I mean, that, that book will definitely be a New York Times bestseller.
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, if, if you think about it, I mean, you just do one extra rep per day. That's 365 a year. It. it all compounds. It all compounds. And the, the exponential, the exponential growth that occurs, because if you start today doing the extra rep, if four years later, your competitors decide, oh, wow, like maybe I should start doing that. You're already so far ahead. There, there's just no, there's no competition. You're not going to be able to catch up. So the consistency of which we do these things is really what makes us, I was listening to an interview the other day and they were talking about love, um, Kobe Bryant's workout routine. And like most of the NBA does it two a day, right? They do 10 AM and they do 4 PM. Kobe mm -hmm. used to get in the gym at 3 AM. Yeah. He would do his first workout at 3 AM, his second at 10, his third at four. And people would go, he'd be, go, I'd, I'd be getting my, my first workout done when people were waking up and that's what made him better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, Kobe is just an impressive individual. He's someone that I've always admired. Um, yeah. And unfortunately he's not with us anymore, but you know, to this day, you can learn a lot of lessons from his, his Tons. teachings and just how he's, he's, he's interacted with the world. So, you know, one thing we like to ask, you know, is, is obviously you, you've had a, a wealth of experience over the course of your career. Um, but if you could go back in time, you know, back to your early days, right when you're first getting started, you're bright eyed and bushy tailed and you're, you're ready to take on the world. What is one of the, maybe a one piece of advice that you think would be most impactful that you could share with yourself so that you could maybe, uh, avoid some of the pitfalls you ultimately were able to navigate when you first started. So, you know, you're probably not gonna like this answer because someone asked me this question like a month ago. And I, my answer mm -hmm. was this, like, you couldn't tell that kid shit. Right? Yeah. Like, like I get it. I, back when I was that age, like there's mm -hmm. nothing anybody could have told me that would have changed the outcome. However, I believe that everything happens at the time and at the, at the right moment and when it's supposed to happen. And I wouldn't be the leader, decision maker, earner, um, producer, a developer. I wouldn't be all the book writer, all these things. If I didn't fail at every one of these things along the way, right. And get better mm -hmm. and better and better. Yeah. So I think that the only thing that, that, that I could even advise that is just, you don't fail until you stop, right. Mm -hmm. You got to keep going no matter what. And there's going to be great times and there's going to be really crappy times, but as long as you don't give up, you know, you end up, you end up where you want to be. Absolutely. And, and developing thick skin in life in general is, is just a huge value proposition. I mean, again, going through the struggles and, and understanding how to navigate the, 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 the murky waters. I mean, that's also I mean, a probably, valuable skill. We could go down a rabbit hole of why our kids are so messed up in today's generation if you want. Yeah. But I mean, I think we all know the answer to that, right? Yeah, because exactly. A nine-year-old plays soccer and doesn't keep score. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's got to be a point in time where that thick skin gets developed and it comes from adversity. And our kids yeah. are not seeing adversity because we're trying to hen over top of them and make sure that everything's okay. And it's going to be okay, baby. Like it's not going to be okay. Shit happens. Mm -hmm. It's going to get tough. It's going to get tougher before it gets easier. I think that's yeah. more of what our kids need to hear today than, oh, there's no winners and losers. There are winners and losers. I'm a winner. I had to make a lot of losers happen to become a winner. Yeah, yeah. no. Oh, for the nature sure. of life. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 and you, you, you refer to sports in general. I mean, I learned a lot of these lessons through the sports that I played. I, I wrestled in, in high school and, and played football and that adversity in, of, in and of itself taught me a lot of lessons. And ultimately the entrepreneur route, in my opinion, is the biggest gauntlet. And, and, you know, the, 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 the biggest life lessons you learn are through just going through these, these ups and downs and struggles of just operating a business. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like there's, there's so many lessons to learn, but you have to put yourself out there and you got, you got to be willing to, you know, get scuffed up a bit. So. Well, and I think the added bonus yeah. to that is like, I just said, it's becoming a winner. You create a lot of losers. I've also created a lot of winners. Yeah. Right? Like you have to set the bar at some point, you know, like Andy Frazella has this uh, hashtag 100 to zero. He's like, zero. I want to win a hundred to zero. I don't care. Or maybe yeah. zero to a hundred. It's the same concept, but yeah. he's like, I'm not trying to beat my competition. I'm trying to decimate them. 
And, yeah. and then the winners come to him because of that vision, because of that outcome, because of that output. And so when you set the bar, all of a sudden you attract winners in your life. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, ultimately, like you said, you know, in order for you to win a lot of times, you need people to help you along the way. And ultimately you help them as well. I mean, it's a mutually beneficial relationship as well. So, you know, even though you may view yourself as, as the, 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 the winner, the executor, you helped a lot of people as well. I mean, that that's ultimately a, a value proposition. So. I mean, our company is called Legacy Developers. The reason we called it that was because we want to build everyone's legacy. Every person in my company either has a bonus structure based on deal flow or they have equity in the deal. Like I want to build long-term wealth for everyone on my team, right? So therefore, like we can't lose. Like we're surrounding ourselves with winners who just keep winning at a higher level every time we do a deal. And to me, that's what it's all about. Awesome. Hey, uh, I know that... The, uh, I've heard the saying over and over is that mistakes create growth. And that's yeah. when you were alluding to earlier is like kids nowadays aren't, aren't in that they they're not getting that. So they're not able to grow. I mean, you're going to have, I say in another 20 years, a five-year-old, if they don't have any of that growth, they're still going to be in a kid's mindset, essentially. I mean, they're going to be looking for their parents. Hey, I need your help. Every I'm single terrified. I'm yeah. terrified and of getting old guys. Cause I don't know who's well, going to defend us. Well, and, yeah. and I think I think part of the reason is like, you know, I, I remember someone said this and I thought it was very insightful is that, you know, you know, bad times create tough people and they create good times and then good times create soft people and then the bad times come. So it's like a cyclical cycle. I mean, you totally. see it in any type of enterprise and industry. I mean, look at all the Fortune 500 companies on average over the course of 25 years. You know, you'll see 50 percent or more drop off of that list. And a lot of reasons the reasons for that is because they get fat and happy. Yep. And they get complacent and they get yep. soft. And all of a sudden there's, there's always someone behind you wanting to take you out. It's, we're in a competitive yeah. environment and you, you got to be able to work yourself, you know, work, work towards it and always continue to strive to be the best you can be. So, well, that's a Jordan Peterson quote. And he also says something along the lines of like, kids need to be able to do dangerous things in, in like in supervised environments or something like yeah. that. Like, like yeah. your kids need to go explore. They need to get dinged up. They need to they mm -hmm. scrape their knee. They need to cry every once in a while. Like that's part of life, you know, and you mm -hmm. see yeah. these, these weak kids being grown up because they're, everything's coddled. Everything's covered up. Everything's okay. We got a medication yeah. for that. It's like, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Brutal. Absolutely. So earlier, you actually alluded to a few books that you uh, were uh, reading and recommended and stuff. So I just wanted to start, I'll say, before I really go into this other question is, hey, I, we really appreciate you coming on here and taking the time. We know that you guys, you're busy, very, very busy. Uh, so the time that you've given us is invaluable. But uh, so the next question is, is what is the most impactful book that you've ever read? It's maybe, yeah. And it doesn't have to be in construction or it can no, be any no. book. Yeah, any That's genre. So for me, as someone asked, you know, I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they said something about books, like what's your like highest recommended book? I think books to me have to happen at the right time, right? How many mm -hmm. times have you had a book sit in your shelf and then like two years later, you're like, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut and you crack it open. And you're like, man, this is incredible. Why didn't I read this two years ago? Well, because it yeah. wasn't interesting and it wasn't impactful to you two years ago. So to answer your question, one of the most impactful books for me ever was the four hour work week. And it's because I read it in 2007 when I was literally going to step out and create my entrepreneurial journey. And he's talking about how you can leverage virtual assistants and you can leverage people to help you do business. And literally when I started my business, it was me and one other person in the US and I had like three virtual assistants because of that book. And it, it helped me, you know, scale up in order to leverage, you know, the opportunity of, of three, $4 an hour labor, whatever it was back then. 
Uh, yeah. Way, way different now, by the way. Try to find a $3 an hour uh, VA. Um, yeah. But the point is, I think books have to hit you at the right time. And I've, I've read some amazing books that have hit me really, really hard. But that was the first like really meaningful, impactful book I remember reading. Yeah, yeah. no, I couldn't agree more. And, and, and I just recently hired a VA about six months ago. So I've, I've seen the impact and power that it can have. And they've, oh, yeah. she's taken over a lot of the, the, the functions of this podcast. And we've, we're, we're going to be episode 75, I believe, is this one, or, or it's in the 70s range. And, you know, with over the last 30 or so, it's been, you know, primarily her, her efforts. And, you know, just yeah. the, the time you get back, and I'm obviously in the brokerage business. So, you know, my time is better suited in a variety of different facets that are outside of what this is, this, this podcast, but the, the, the operational side now I've been able to pass along to another person who does a great job with the podcast. Yeah. And, and that's yeah. saved me a significant amount of time. And I, I kind of, kind of alluded to your, to your point about those books hitting you at the right time. I mean, I mean, I can, I can name a few books over the course of my career that, you know, at that moment in time, I'm just like, wow, it, it just made that aha moment for me. The yeah. first one that I read was the compound effect by Darren Hardy. That's and it just one. was, it was just, you know, ink, and that, I read it when I was 23 years old and that's yeah. what ena enabled me to do all the things that I've been able to do in life because it's, I realized that it all it takes is those small, consistent, po positive actions, but the key word is consistent. You can't just burst it out for two weeks and then not do it anymore. You know, you got to get into a habit of doing things on a regular basis. That's why your morning routines are extremely important. Bookending your days in the evening, you know, revising what you did for the day, and then ultimately determining what, what the best path forward is based on the, the, the stimuli that you've interacted with throughout the day. So, you know, again, yep. it's just great. So, well, Joe, we greatly appreciate your time. I think it's been awesome to be able to discuss, talk, have a conversation with you and, and learn more about your story. I know our audience got a lot of value from, from the discussion. One thing we like to do near the end of our podcast is we like to ask our guests to contribute something to what we call the commercial real estate treasure chest. It's a repository of resources that we make available to our audience. And, you know, we've had people contribute helpful PDFs, eBooks, really anything that they, you think would be of value to the audience. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to ask, what are you willing to contribute today? Yeah. So um, actually, I'm glad you asked that earlier because uh, we have a, a masterclass, a self-storage development masterclass. I developed for our mastermind um, uh, at the beginning of last year. And uh, we actually offer that to, to your listeners for free. If they text 856-481-7795, it's 856-481-7795, text the word storage to that number. And we send you guys a free masterclass. No, no strings, no you know, follow up feedback, you know, we're not trying to, you know, we'll just uh, send in the masterclass direct and you guys can watch it for free. That's awesome. No, yeah. and we'll, we'll go yeah, ahead and include that, that. those instructions in the description. So if you guys are watching this on YouTube, it'll be in the description. If you guys are listening to this in a podcast format, it'll be in the description as well. So. Joe, I've gained a ton of value. I know people are going to want to reach out to you. So what is the best way to reach out to you? Uh, email, text, phone, uh, Carrier pigeon. I'm not sure what you, what you got yeah, going I'm, on over there, but I'm, I'm on all the socials, as they say. You know, Instagram, yeah. <laughs> Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. They can uh, they can search my last name. It's very very unique, so it's not going to be hard finding me. Evangelisti, um, and uh, our website for the uh, development side is investwithlegacy.com. If they want to check out our projects or upcoming deals, awesome, nice, great, great, great. So we'll include that in the show notes below as well. So if you guys don't want to check them out go ahead and do that. It'll we'll provide LinkedIn and all the other social media platforms below so you guys can access that. So cool. again, for those of you guys who are listening, we greatly appreciate all your guys' support. 
if, if you guys don't mind taking a second to leave us a five-star review, we've, we've seen a significant uptick in our downloads as a result of you guys doing so. So feel free to stop by Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. If you guys are watching this on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it if you can like and subscribe to this channel. It really helps with the YouTube algorithm and ensures more and more people can hear this message and learn about the many facets of commercial real estate. So thanks again so much for tuning in and we'll see you all next time.